In the third of a series of podcasts, Professor John Mee from the University of Warwick's English and Comparative Literary Studies Department is joined by three of his MA students, Harriet Kilikitta, Rebecca Lee and Naomi Hammond, to discuss Our Mutual Friend. Our Mutual Friend contains perhaps more dark humour than other Dickens novels, given the significance of dead bodies in the plot. How does Dickens use comedy to explore this theme? A very interesting question. Sometimes Our Mutual Friend is seen as being less humorous than you know early novels like Pickwick Papers, but you're right, there is, there is quite a lot of dark comedy in the plot. The example I always use is, is when Silas Wegg goes back to buy, to buy back his own uh, amputated leg. In some ways, the answer to that question is to do with the changes of, of point of view. If the dark aspects of the novel were simply treated as tragic, you would have the problem of, well, I suppose the kind of thing that Breck talked about in theatre, that there'd be a kind of catharsis. One would feel, you know, what one feels about the scene worked out by the nature of the depiction, whereas the way humour operates in the novels is often to make it very unstable as to what our response should be. It's it kind of, for me, it adds to the troubled nature of what we're seeing. The Oxford critic John Carey, in a book called Violent Effigy, he took the view that, um, that Dickens used humour to make safe. It was a kind of refuge from the darkness he saw. That's never been my point of view. My point of view is that I think the comedy often makes our responses troubling. So there's something very grotesque about Wegg going into that shop seeking to buy back his own leg. But instead of just seeing it as horrific, there is also something darkly comic about it. And that, that means that the scene's never resolved. It, it means, if you like, the scene stays with us as something troubling. So further to the idea of the dead bodies, there's clearly a lot of commodification of bodies going on. Um, I was wondering how you thought that works and why Dickens makes it such a prominent theme. As I've already said, um, the classic example of that is is Silas Wegg in that early chapter, but I'll come back to that in a moment. I mean, the novel actually does start, of course, with a, a, a father, Gaffer Hexham, and his daughter, Lizzie, fishing bodies out of the river for, for a living and frisking them for coins or whatever is valuable um, and hovering over it the idea that that if not they then people they work with may be responsible for putting the bodies there so so there's already an idea early on about London as a place where people are kind of living off other people that life and death are intermingled and, and life is is feeding off the life of others so we're getting a sense there that a human beings regarding each other as as kind of commodities now, it seems to me it's very typical of Dickens to kind of put a, an image in play and then to return to it and play on it. And it seems to me that the things I was just talking about are kind of crystallised for us very early on when Silas Wegg goes to buy back his own leg. It's a kind of extreme of alienation, the idea that one thinks of a part of even one's own body as a commodity, as something that has a market value. And then there's a lot of very dark humour about whether... Mr. Venus will sell him his, his leg back. He, ta- he, he pushes Mr. Venus for a price, and Mr. Venus, because Mr. Venus seems to be saying it's worthless, he hasn't been able to put the bone. Uh, I, I should make it clear for those who haven't read the novel, it is a bone. He doesn't actually go back to buy his fleshly leg, uh, but he can't fit it to a skeleton. But then he says, but it might have some value as, as something monstrous, and Wegg's, in a kind of moral sense about himself, forced to uh, face the idea that he, he's a monstrous being. But I think more importantly than that, 
is the issue you your question gets at is that Dickens is making aware of, of people relating to each other, not as human beings, but of things that have a kind of market value. And the alienation that involves from any idea of ourselves as human beings, thinking ourselves as items in a marketplace, uh, that a tradable island that we might have to make we might have to make a profit on. There's an interesting counterpoint to this theme though, um, later on in the novel, when he typically he does come back and, and replay something he's done before. And that is when Lizzie Hexham drags her, her lover or a suitor, Eugene Rayburn, out of the water. Um, it's a very specific counterpoint to what's happened at the beginning of the novel when she and her father have been pulling bodies out of the river for profit, although that's something she was never happy about. And there's that sense there that she's rescued him they're very clearly not for market values, but for but for, for reasons to do with her human relationship uh, with him. And, of course, morally, that's something he's seen as, as learning from as well towards the end of the novel, because earlier on it's not been very clear if he just wants her for her body, as it were, or does have any more genuine feelings for her. I suppose the other thing to say, to, to pick up on your use of the word commodification, it's very striking that Dickens is thinking about this kind of thing at the same time as Marx is writing about it, and there really is an idea, this this thing about a, the commodity, which is is seen for Marx as being something, rather than mere things in themselves, as it were, commodities are something that, that Marx give a, gives a kind of phantasmagoric uh, status to, that, as in the phrase commodity fetish, and people fetishise, they want for reasons above their use value and are willing to sacrifice human beings to, quite literally, in the making of them. And I think that is a set of issues that Dickens is quite aware of at the same kind of time, the way that late Victorian capitalism does seem willing to sacrifice human beings to production and market value of things. Um, so I think there is a real crossover there, strange though it might seem, between Das Capital and our mutual friend. As you mentioned, a lot of the action in Our Mutual Friend takes place on, a, on or around the River Thames. What do you think the significance of water is in the novel? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that ne nearly all the novels have one or two kind of keynote scenarios or themes that they recur to, and, and Our Mutual Friend is dominated, I think, by two things, one of which is the, um, the dust heaps that turn out to be also a great centre of potential wealth. And there clearly is a thing there about how this is a society which is confused about what's waste, what's rubbish and what, what's valuable. But the other key theme is the river, the River Thames that, that runs through. And it enables Dickens to make all kinds of, of, of plays on familiar cliches. The idea of a kind of winding river of life that goes that goes from a source to its end is played with. It's a river in which life and death are interchangeable. Rogue Riderhood and Bradley Headstone, if you will, the, the villains of the novel kind of re meet their deaths there and there seems to be a kind of moral resolution in the river there of sorts. But earlier on, the river's seen a much more dubious place. It certainly hasn't seen a place that purifies. It's got bodies floating in it. People are fishing in it to try and make profits, fishing for human bodies. The fishes of men, if you like, like Christ, but not in a very in any meaningful Christian ways. Um, there are some very strange baptisms in that regard in the novel. It's also part of the novel's and Dickens's whole fascination with London throughout his career. The Thames becomes the thing around which London is organised, as it always has been, and you see the whole of London around it from the kind of the rural parts out in Oxfordshire where. Bradley and Rogue finally meet their ends to the kind of filthy, rubbishy, 
body infested parts around the East End. And it, and it is true that London, that the Thames was, was filthy, was famously full of bodies. Well, not full of bodies, but you know, there are many bodies in it. People killed themselves in it. Uh, so it's also part of, you know, it's, it, as well as having this symbolic impact, it, it is also part of the novel's realism. But I think it, it's it's a symbolic value in the way that he manages to ring changes on our usual ideas of the river of life as a place that things are purified, washed clean, and kind of does surprising things with them that's very typical. One of the most dramatic parts of the novel are, is uh, John Harmon's memory of being thrown into the river. He seems to be emptied in it as like a piece of uh, sewage through a waste pipe. And he comes out of it again and has lost his identity and is, in a sense, reborn, but not in any very obviously positive way. And that, again, is typical of the play. It's a kind of baptism, but where nobody's ever quite washed clean either.